feel confident in embarking on the path of mindfulness, which again, is the practice of awareness, and they can start today. Welcome to Supernormalize, the podcast where we challenge the conventional, break boundaries, and normalize the seemingly supernatural. Join me, CJ, as we explore less uncharted realms of existence and unravel the mysteries of life experience. My treasured listeners, if you have a life story or healing modality or unique knowledge that you'd love to share, reach out to me at Supernormalized, that's Supernormalized with a Z, at Proton.me. Let's together embrace acceptance of the supernatural and unusual as what it really is completely normal. Prepare to be inspired by the incredible Aura Nadrich, a true force in the world of transformational thinking. And as the founder and president of the Institute for Transformational Thinking, Aura has dedicated her life to helping others discover their authenticity through mindfulness. With her extensive knowledge as a certified life coach and mindfulness teacher, she has mentored countless new coaches and guided them towards success. Aura's magnetic presence, profound insight, intuition, and compassion have made her one of the most sought-after coaches in Los Angeles. Aura's unique questioning method has helped countless individuals unlock their potential and overcome their fears. She leads popular women's groups, hosts mindful meditation seminars, and has developed a mindfulness program for schools. We discuss her latest book, Time to Awaken, and all of this in today's episode. Please enjoy. Welcome to Supernormalized, Aura Nadrich. Now, Aura, you've had quite a big story arc in your life where you've changed quite uh, dramatically over time in, into a thought leader and mindfulness thought leader as well, I would say too. How did you get there and what spurned you along that way? You know, I've really been, I think of myself as a seeker since I've been a little girl. Yeah. Now, I... I didn't know that intellectually. I just was always this extremely curious child and I was a thinker and I was writing contemplative poetry when I was, you know, truly just a young child. So I think I was really primed to go on the psycho-spiritual journey, which I did many years later. I was an actress for 10 years. I was also a writer while I was an actress, but all the while I was very into contemplative practices. I became a meditator while I was an actress and I started off with transcendental meditation, which then led me to mindfulness meditation. And I was on a very deep psycho-spiritual journey, as I said. And I knew that even when I was an actress in Hollywood, although I loved my career and it was really flourishing, I loved writing even more. And when I became a writer, I said to myself one day, I'm going to be writing about 
real things in real time. I'm going to be writing about the human condition, not just these made up sort of fictitious characters, if you will. So I think I was priming myself for this path that I found myself on years later, which I became a life coach for 10 years. And I then started to write books and become a mindfulness practitioner. And that really leads me up to now that my work is devoted to a mindful awareness of what we're doing in this life. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, how did your passion for discovering how our thoughts were um, actually shape your path in, in transformational thinking? Well, the story is that I had a sister that I was very close to who's now passed, and she was struck with um, a mental breakdown condition and was diagnosed with manic uh, depression and schizophrenia. She was seemingly very normal and quite extraordinary up until that point. She had some unfortunate circumstances that had happened in her life. And then she had this break, as, as I said. And I was really devastated by that when it happened to her. And I was really very curious about the workings of the mind because I went into deep fear and fight or flight when this happened to her. And when you go into fight or flight, you can tell yourself all sorts of frightening things, which is what I did. I was young. I was, I think, 15 years old. So my psyche was developing. And I went into a heightened state of fear, which really impacted my life and stayed with me for quite some time. And I was experiencing symptoms out of that, like anxiety. So when I went on this deep psycho-spiritual journey of mine, I really started to learn more about the workings of the mind, what takes place when we go into a fear state, and what takes place as far as the things that come up symptomatically, somatically in the body when we go into fear. So once I started to explore that, and I became a meditator, and I saw the, the positive um, effect that it had on me, I knew that we could work with our mind, we could work with our mind in transforming our thinking so that it's not defaulting if you go into the neuroplasticity of the mind that you don't default to negative and fear-based thinking you can actually transcend and transform the thoughts that you hold in your mind's eye mm, yeah when you're in the extreme sort of fear state it seems like a, the mind does shut down um, methods to um, finding paths out it's like a you it's like it wants to escape from the situation no matter what. And um, it gives you limited sort of thinking and limited sort of responses. And um, it's good to be able to question that and, and to look upon it in such a way that you can step out of that, those loops. Exactly right. And that's what happens. You know, I think of the work that I've discovered through my own, you know, journey that I was on because I needed to embark on a journey that gave me more answers about my own psyche to understand my own thinking mind. And when I went on that journey, and I found so many fascinating ways in which we can really work with our thoughts, I went into the cognitive aspect of how to connect the thinking mind so that your thoughts can really tell you what it is you're experiencing. 
many times out of fear. And I learned about the whole transformative experience with the thinking mind, which is again, what led me to this mindfulness practice so that we can be aware of the thoughts that we're having in the present moment and actually work with them and begin the transformational process of alchemizing the thinking mind. You know, you you take a negative thought, you can literally transform it into its positive counterpart. So when I started to really have a deep understanding of that, I thought it's fascinating because you can literally do a type of intervention so that we don't go into these more neurotic states of mind, which are really just a culmination of not being clear thinking. We don't really understand the thinking process. And a lot of the times they can create conditions that are more extreme, if you will. Mm. It sounds like the thing they call a pattern sort of interrupt in NLP. Is it something like that? I think, yes, although I'm not very versed in that particular modality, yeah. I I do subscribe to that, that it is a way of working with one's thoughts and to be able to elucidate your own understanding of why you think the thoughts that you do and where do those thoughts come from and that you actually have the ability to change them which creates a much, you know, it, it literally creates a stasis, meaning that it creates a more wholesome, healthy thinking capacity, a thinking mind, if you will. Mm. Could you share some of your insights into your unique, your unique um, questioning method and how it helps in individuals uncover their personal potential? Well, my thinking um, process really, I I developed with my book says who, how one simple question can change the way you think forever. This was my first book. And mm. I really took a deep dive into again, what you asked me about the thinking mind and, and wanting to know more about how we can work with our thoughts. We think between approximately between 40 and 70,000 thoughts a day. It's really hard to imagine, but our mind is so fertile with thoughts. Now, we're not cognizant of all of those thoughts, obviously, because they're just moving through our head. But the thoughts that get our attention are the negative and the fear-based thoughts. Those are the ones that will stop us and will start to focus more hyper-vigilantly on those thoughts, which can you know, create us, as you said, going into this thinking loop, if you will. When I wrote the Says Who Method, I based it on a cognitive method that I had created of questioning your negative and fear-based thoughts. And it's a seven prong or seven questions of asking yourself these very simple questions so that if a negative or fear-based thoughts are comes up, you can actually challenge that thought by questioning it to find out if it's real or not. You know, is it a thought that is based out of fear? Is it a thought that comes from something that is a remnant from your childhood? And you realize that you've been thinking that thought for as long as you can remember. And you, you're able to connect it for the first time where that thought came from. And perhaps it didn't even belong to you. It was a thought that you took on from an authority figure, a teacher, a parent, you know, the bully on the schoolyard that, you know, uh, harassed you. So it's seven questions, CJ, and they're quite straightforward. They're rather simple, but the effect of using them is so incredibly vast that it's just changed people's lives. And I also have something called the, the Thought Coach Certification Training Program 
that is a uh, thought coach niche of coaching that I created that's based on my says who method. Brilliant, brilliant. So it sounds like a, a lot like shadow work. So you're actually dealing with all of the uh, shadow aspects of our personality that that cause all these, um, what would you call them, like uh, incorrect um, methods and means to react to, to events and situations. Exactly. And I think that, you know, I've worked with thousands of people with the says who method. And what I found in my observation is that so many people it literally stops them in their tracks when you say, have you ever thought to question that very thought that you're thinking about yourself right now? And I, if I could tell you how it almost short circuits people because they mm. think to themselves, well, I never thought that I could question my thoughts before. I never thought that I could challenge a thought before to find out if it is actually real or not, or it's just based in fear. And I never even imagined that I could change that thought. You know, it's quite liberating for people. And yes, if you don't know those aspects, be it the shadow aspect of the personality or the darker aspects or the more complex aspects of our own personalities and the thoughts that are born from that, it's just foreign to us. And you walk around on automatic in that you're really at the effect of these negative or fear-based thoughts that have control over you, basically. That's exactly right. I've, I've been in a place like that myself in the past where, um, you know, I stopped my meditation just to see what happens. And um, after about six months, I started to feel like I was inside a pinball machine of life and everything was just um, action, reaction, action, reaction. And okay. it's it, it really wasn't good. And so I went back to my, my gratitude practices and my meditation practices and it just righted everything again. So... To me, these these methods like work really, really well. And um, as a part of the ones that I was doing at the time, I was asking myself, "I am, is am I not? My, this is not my." I was actually saying that this is not my, and and then attaching whatever it was to it that I was doing at the time, and just making sure that it wasn't was this part of me or is this something that I'm making up? And it helped me to it helped me to break those patterns. So we've heard about your exceptional ability to combine insight, intuition, compassion, and charisma. And how do you use these qualities to contribute to your effectiveness as a coach? You know, I, I feel that I just, you know, use the tools that I adhere to. I use the tenets of practices that I respect and that I believe in, like the mindfulness practice or, you know, certain Buddhist or Taoist principles that I really resonate with. And again, it goes back to, you know, the mindfulness practice that I use in my own life and that I use with my clients. And mindfulness is the practice of being in the present moment with total awareness with this self-love, compassion, acceptance. You know, these are tenets that we integrate into present moment awareness. So I'm able to use that in my own life to wonderful, you know, benefits and therefore I can really use it in the practice with others. Yeah, right. Okay. Can you explain your understanding of the power of metacognition? Well, metacognition, which I mentioned in my book, Mindfulness and Mysticism, if you think about, you know, meta, you know, which is sort of above and it's a tr more of a transcending of the cognition of the understanding, you're in more of a heightened state of awareness if you will. So therefore, you're in this 
a heightened state or just fully, I should say, fully aware. It's a more of a full awareness of the thinking mind. You know, you have a, it's as if you are, you know, having a, a much larger overview of your own thoughts and, and be able to understand, again, the breaking down of the thinking mind, the cognitive aspects, being able to connect the thoughts so that they hold you know, reasonable meaning as opposed to the thoughts that take you over again out of fear or confusion or frustration. So metacognition, I say, is sort of like a superpower. You have a, a more heightened awareness of your own thinking mind and the thoughts that occupy the mind. Mm -hmm. How does um, mindfulness lead to awakening? I mean, to me, it seems quite clear that it's um, a matter of uh, short-circuiting all of the ineffective behaviors and everything but obviously it does lead to some sort of awakening for people so what is your understanding of that well exactly right you know mindfulness again is the practice of awareness so the more you practice mindfulness you are going to become a more aware human being and the more aware you are of self which means what constitutes self that means the thinking mind the emotions that are connected to the thoughts that we have, you have an awareness of self, which becomes much more refined as you develop a more steady practice of present moment awareness. You then have the awareness of self, you have the awareness of other, you have awareness of your environment, you have your awareness of the world in which you live in, do you know? So it becomes a practice that heightens awareness. You know, it, I say mindfulness is the gift that keeps on giving because the more you are aware, you just continue to become more aware. It's like, it's like the lens of a camera, do you know? You widen the lens, you see so much more. And that's what the mindfulness practice allows for. It allows for a much greater sense of awareness in the present moment. Now you multiply all the present moments of your day. If you can really carry that from moment to moment seamlessly, I'm not saying one has to be perfect at it because we're going to have our momentary setbacks, but the more aware you are and you make a concerted effort to practice present moment awareness, you start to see that your awareness becomes greater. Mm. It seems like more and more people are, are, are seeking out this um, new path in life, which does embrace life balance, mindfulness, meditation, self-understanding. And it's all a part of a great awakening. When I was younger, I used to think that that was going to happen any minute now. But obviously, these things take a long time. They're like a slow train. So <laughs> what do well, people need to know about the great awakening? And, and in your understanding of it, what is the great awakening? Well, I really focus on the great awakening in my new book that's out right now called Time to Awaken, Changing the yeah. World with Conscious Awareness. And I do believe we're in a time of a great spiritual awakening on this earth that we inhabit. And, you know, during the lockdown period that we all went through globally, I really had such a very strong feeling that this is much more than just a novel virus. This is a time for us to really awaken, you know, and to come to understand the world in a whole new way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a, it's one's own personal journey of awakening that allows for you to have a deeper understanding of what's going on, you know, and this is a time you really want to be awake. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, what really kept coming through me as a download, which became the title of my book, Time to Awaken, is 
oh, this is a time of the great awakening, a great spiritual awakening. And I just kept having that thought come to me again and again. And when I did research on great awakenings, there have been great awakenings throughout history. Um, there have been different periods throughout our history, but they were more religious revivals. And I thought to myself, well, this feels much more than just a religious revival in a traditional way as we know that to be. This feels much more spiritual, that it's not just you know locking it down to a particular religion, that it's a spiritual awakening that each and every person can go through based on their own transformational experience. Mm, yeah, I definitely feel that myself as well. And and I've seen that um, in so many ways and talked to so many people about this. So yeah, very interesting where things are going for sure, for sure. So you've actually developed um, a mindfulness program for schools aiming to address and alleviate stress and anxiety among young adults. What inspired you to focus on this particular area and what results have you seen so far? Well, it's interesting that you're asking me that at this time because I just wrote an article um, that is featured on Daily Clout, which is a um, platform that I'm a columnist for. And I wrote, you know, practicing mindfulness during war. And what inspired me, which is really based on the war that's happening in Israel right now, is that I started to see behaviors that were going on on college campuses that seemed very um, hostile and aggressive. Mm -hmm. And it really took me back. I was like, wow, there's a lot of this hostility that's coming up with these young adults and what I'm noticing is, and I mentioned this in my article, that it's a lack of mindfulness. There isn't a mindful discourse that's happening because it's a war that's split between two very strong delineated camps. It's really evoking a lot of anger and hostility and polarization and hatred in people. And this is completely antithetical to the mindfulness practice which is having a mindful awareness of our behaviors, our actions, our deeds, the words that leave our mouth. So when I think back to when I was beginning my mindfulness teaching, and I did go into schools to teach it, because I think it's extremely important for it to be taught to the young psyche, to the young developing mind, so that young children and adults can have a better understanding of how to self-regulate their emotions, you know, so that they're not going to bully each other and they're not going to be belligerent and they're not going to be disobedient in a way that's harming another human being, do you know? So I think it should be taught in all schools starting as early as, you know, children that are in preschool or kindergarten level so that children can have a, a much better understanding how to communicate mindfully because what I'm seeing right now is deeply concerning to me that there is not this mindful discourse, civil discourse, if you will, that is being shown at a time when we're in a, you know, a high level of stress. It concerns me that there isn't this mindful awareness of the way in which uh, discourse is taking place. Mm. It seems to me like the part of the, um, the the understanding of mindfulness and how it works in the world is sort of like a um, a recovery of, of a sense of common sense. Exactly right. It's common sense. It's level headedness is another word yeah. that I would use. Love it. And and one of the wonderful benefits of the contemplative practice of mindfulness is equanimity having a level of equanimity, which is a level of calm, 
do you know? So if you're really coming from the place of that, that's your center, which is a level of calmness, a level of equanimity, the way in which we're going to interact with each other, the way in which we're going to practice the art of discourse is going to be from a much more thoughtful, kind, compassionate, mindful place. And I really question how far we've come that we are seeing a lot of um, engaging in discourse that is anything but mindful. That's why I really believe that the mindfulness practice is so incredibly vital and important to our well-being. Mm. Yeah, it does seem like a lot of the um, the media and uh, all of the news is is almost set out to to be divisive and um, polarizing. And uh, having a, a common sense mindfulness practice can actually allow you to um, be on the sidelines of the battle and just watch it rather than actually become involved and get lost in it and uh, maybe say things you don't really mean to people. Exactly is- right. Exactly right, CJ. And I even give people these tips, these mindfulness tips, like things like taking a pause, yes, taking a mindful breath before you're going to say something to somebody that could really harm them with your words, do you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or your behaviors. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So what's your understanding of the future of virtual reality and transhumanism? I mean, um, I just thought I'd ask you about that because you've written it up in some of the things that I've, I've read on you. You know, I never thought that I, as a mindfulness practitioner, that I would to venture down that that road, that discovery of things like AI and transhumanism, which is a practice of, you know, basically transcending our human biological form. Mm-hmm. And I felt very called to write my book, Time to Awaken. And when I, you know, really availed myself to just a deeper understanding of the times that we're in right now, one of the things that I ventured upon was AI, artificial intelligence, which is becoming a subject that's much more now mainstream, because we're seeing that the concerns of AI moving into all these different areas. You know, it's a, it was a concern they just been striking here in Los Angeles in the film industry, the concerns of AI coming into Uh, the creative process of the medium of film. And I know that Elon Musk says that there's a quote of his that says that, you know, um, artificial intelligence can be one of the greatest threats to our humanity. And when I did the research on that, I was quite shocked by what I discovered. Now, one could say there are some positive things to using artificial intelligence in the way in which it can help maybe somebody who's handicapped use artificial intelligence in ways that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise if they didn't have use, let's say, of their hands or their voice. I can understand that. But it's coming into the mainstream. Our technologies are advancing so exponentially that it's you know, rather alarming in that, you know, it can get into the wrong hands. And something like transhumanism, which is, a, I think, a very concerning concept of wanting to race us into a type of technology reality, these virtual realities, which we saw take place with something like the metaverse that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg introduced into onto the Facebook platform is really eerie, I think, in that why are we trying to advance ourselves into a future kind of dystopian reality, you know, I think, then really address the spiritual needs 
of the human condition. Do you know, mm. you know, why are we racing to try to, you know, erase ourselves as human beings and the spiritual aspects of our very nature and rush us into this advanced technology that is like computer and robot-like and very unhuman. Mm, yes, yes. It does seem like it's a massive distraction on a, on a grand scale. And I, I personally don't agree with the idea of stepping into a VR world and living in there. I mean, that's, that's even further, you know, you know, away from nature. Exactly. That's the perfect word, CJ, nature, because if we allow ourselves to move so far away from nature, which will always mirror back to us our own nature, you know, when we connect to nature, the beauty of nature, it connects us to something deep within our own souls, do you know? And if we start to do away with that and everything is virtual and everything is again, robotic and, you know, a non-feeling as a human being, I think that that could be the end of our human civilization. It's a very eerie, a very creepy concept. And I know that with something like metaverse, I think that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was perhaps very excited to introduce this virtual reality to the world and it didn't take off. I'm, I, you know, gee, I wonder why, you know, <laughs> you these virtual glasses, you go into this virtual reality from what I understand from people that try those virtual glasses is they said it made them sick and nauseous. Yeah. You know? It's like, what's appealing about that? No, no, I don't think these things are actually meant for humans in the end. I, I used to work in artificial intelligence myself way back when. It was um, very young and uh, to put it plainly, I, I was in contact with um, entities which, uh, which were informing me about what I was doing and they were saying at the time, this is not meant to be. This is not meant to be, you should stop. Yeah, I think that when, you know, we become delusional about our power and we believe we're that omnipotent and that we can play God, yes. you know, that's really what I question the most, especially with transhumanists or futurists that have this vision of the future that is very devoid of the human soul. I think that there's a lot of egoic, you know, intentionality behind it that exactly. really want where you have these, you know, people who are maybe perhaps in this sort of, you know, elite position financially to think that they can play God and create these entities that are, in my opinion, very dystopian. Yeah, for sure, for sure. The techno-fantasists. Exactly uh, right. The techno <laughs> The, the fetish the fetishistic aspects of <laughs> yeah. reality it's so strange isn't it yeah yeah it comes to mind I think of um Yuval Harari and the WEF and those yeah you got, fun you got people. it <laughs> yeah, you know those people those people those of us that know about those people that will you know that discovered the the World Economic Forum and the the mantra you will own nothing and be happy and eat crickets it's like yeah. what what yeah exactly <laughs> what <laughs> What did you just say? You know, and I so many people that are coming on to that now. I'm even seeing a lot of people on social media and young people. You know, the the you know it, it's out of the bag. You know, I think it was disguised for a while in this sort of global elite, you yes. know, discourse that seemed for the privileged. And we realized, well, maybe we're not privileged if they think that we 
can be reduced or dehumanized to be a, you know, computer-esque type of human being that doesn't own anything and is going to be happy not eating, you know, anything but crickets. It's strange. It is very strange, and um, yeah, I'm 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 glad that uh, you're aware of that, and it's and, and uh, that it's definitely not a path that people should any you know, even consider at all. So yeah, keep away from all of that. Uh, well, I think it's good. I think it's good, CJ. I think it's good for people to become just just become and become a, be awake, be informed. You know, come to know these these things so that you're not you know uh, broadsided one day and you wake mm. up and you think, how in the world did the world just turn into this? crazy science fiction dystopian reality you know just that's why i really encourage people to be awake for sure for sure yeah so apart from coaching um you also facilitate women's groups and mindful meditation seminars can you tell us more about these initiatives and the impact they have on the participants well, I did start a women's group years ago. And by the way, it was never the intention to exclude men because I was actually right on the heels of that. I was going to create a men's group, but I got so busy with this women's group that I had originally started many, many years ago before the world changed so radically. And recently I have formed another women's group because I wanted to bring together more like-minded, aware, awake women who could really share their information and their wonderful gifts you know a lot of the women are in the healing arts and they're very progressive in their thinking so i've been loving doing that because i realize there's a lot of people that really have more of an, uh, this awareness of how the world is changing and how to use ourselves positively with the changes that we're seeing so i've been you know busy doing that and also i'm always teaching some form of mindfulness whether it's mindful meditation or I'm doing workshops so that people, again, can become more present in their lives, which really supports the whole notion of staying awake. Do you have any success stories that you could share and you could anonymize the, the uh, person's uh, details that um, could inspire others? You know, I have just seen so many incredible transformations with people it's been really fantastic. And this goes back even to my first book, Says Who. Again, when I started to work with people with the Says Who method and things called the release and replace technique, which is also mentioned in my book, which is releasing negative thoughts and um, you know uh, replacing them with their positive counterparts. I've just seen so many remarkable changes with people over the years. I've been doing this for a long time. And I really see how when people take agency over their lives, when they really come to understand that they can work with their own thinking mind, they, they, they can use their thoughts to serve them. You know, we're not here to serve our thoughts like a slave to our own mind. We're here to use our mind in a way that is beneficial to our well-being. Once I start to you know, work with clients, and I'm in these workshops, and I do these um, webinars, and all the different ways in which I've taught my work, I've seen just remarkable changes with people like, for example, people that will say to me, and I've heard this a lot, people that will say, you know, Aura, I used to really be a negative thinker. I used to be somebody who would really be ruled by negative thoughts. And I have seen a tremendous change in my own thinking mind that when a negative thought comes up, because it will, you know, negative thinking is part of the thinking process. 
uh, they'll say, wow, I can catch it like that. Boom. Right in that very moment that the thought wants to take me over, I have the skill sets, I have the tools that you've taught me to be able to literally change my thought to become a thought that works intelligently for my well-being. So I have story after story of so many people, and it's really heartwarming for me to see that, that have been profoundly changed by being willing to work with their own thinking mind and to change their negative and fear-based thoughts. Brilliant. In regards to your book, The uh, Time to Awaken, can you tell us a bit more about this book and who is it targeted at and why is the right time now for this one? Well, this book is for practically anybody and everybody, I should say, that wants yeah. to that wants to become more conscious and be, become more aware, which is really another way of saying that you want to awaken more. And we can all wake up more, do you know? you know, waking up is to varying degrees, you know, and that means you're becoming a more conscious human being on the planet. Mm. So I really take my reader on a journey of awakening. And I invite them in, I invite them, I encourage them to commit to the path of awakening, because, you know, being asleep, you know, which when we think of sleep, we think of being in an actual sleep state, where we're in a semi conscious state when we're going to bed at night. But there are millions of people that are walking around like that. They're only half awake, if you will, they're not fully awake. So mm -hmm. the book is for ev everybody. It's for anybody who wants to awaken even more. And I am taking them on this journey of awakening, and I'm happy to do so. Brilliant. What can the readers expect to find in the book? I mean, um, is there any any little parts of that you'd like to share? Well, the book covers a lot. I will tell you that. I mean, I've written <laughs> I've written mindfulness books prior that are basically straightforward teachings of the mindfulness practice. This book covers a lot of territory. It covers what we went through over the last three years because it was a lot. You know, we know that the world changed so radically over the last three years. And I'm sharing that with my reader through my own perception of how I think the world has changed. And it covers everything from mindfulness. So I've got a really full, you know, rich uh, chapter on mindfulness, the mindfulness practice, how to access higher, more higher states of awareness. And I delve into areas, as we discussed, like the transhumanist and the AI area so that people can become more informed about how that's going to be integrated into our daily lives. And, you know, I cover everything from just waking up and being able to access higher levels of consciousness. Mm. Okay. Okay. So how, how can people find your book? Where is it actually released? They can get it on Amazon is usually the fastest way to get it. Yeah. Yeah. as they can, you know, any of my books. Okay, okay. And how can the people find you and um, avail themselves of your services? They can find me on my website, which is auranadrich.com. And that is chock full of a lot of the things that I do. My social media handles is my name, auranadrich, on Instagram or author auranadrich, which is my business page. And most of my social media handles are my name.
Okay. That's nice and easy. So, Aura, is there anything as a parting message you'd like to get out to the listeners to help them along in their lives and discovering mindfulness for themselves? Well, I would really encourage your listeners to feel confident in embarking on the path of mindfulness, which again is the practice of awareness. And they can start today. They can, they literally can start today by things like, you know, taking a mindful walk outside, you know, don't take your phone, listen to nature, you know, look at the leaves changing if you get seasons where you live, you know, do things like have mindful conversations with others where you really heighten your practice of listening, you know, that you can start your mindfulness practice today, even by having your first meal today with mindful awareness so that you can eat more mindfully, you can taste your food better, you know, start your practice today. I would really encourage people that maybe are not familiar with the mindfulness awareness practice. You can literally start it today. And that, you know, I encourage them also to embark on the path of awakening so that Mm. they can know themselves better. And by knowing themselves better, they will understand this life journey that we are all on. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that's a perfect place to end. So thank you so much, Aura Nadrich, for your time and sharing your understanding and your wisdom. Um, I appreciated our time to here together. And uh, yeah. And thank all, all you. I, yeah. Thank all I can say now is yeah, thank you so much. And um, I'll say bye for now. That was lovely, Aura. Thank you. I, I oh. appreciate that. And, and I'm glad that you're an aware person. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, like you are, sounds like you are too. <laughs> yes. Well, I saw your Anthony Fauci book and I was like, oh, no, I can go that way. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a friend of Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s a friend of mine and I've supported him on his journey. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I also, because when you started the interview, I thought, oh, you might, I'm so glad that you talked about Time to Awaken because it is my most recent book. Yeah. But when you talk about the more mystical aspects of, you know, or the, the, you know, I don't want to say is esoteric or metaphysical or existential aspects of, of the life journey. I talk about a lot in my book, mindfulness and mysticism. So I thought you were going to go in that direction, but I'm really glad that you, you sort of stayed on time to awaken because it's really the I'm most focused on right now. Yeah, no, I I thought that's the best way to go for sure. Yeah, thank you so much. It sounds like you have that wonderful balance of awareness and the spiritual. So I've been through a lot and um, I'm I'm touched by, I would say touched by the infinite. So, you know, um, I've learned a lot over time and and grown just the right way, I think. And um, I'd like to help people to find a path in their life, which is a part of the reason why I do this podcast. So I'm sure that um, it'll land on the right ears at the right time. Oh, that's so great. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm so glad that we were able to venture into these areas. And yeah. once once it's available, let you can let me know or PJ and then we on my social media team puts it out on social media. Excellent. Thanks, Aura. Thank you so much. So nice to connect with you. Yeah, have, have very lovely to connect with you too. And have a lovely afternoon. Thank you. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> It was so nice connecting with Aura just then. Um, she has a real uh, warmth and um, depth of understanding, I would say, of the, the practice of mindfulness from her own experience. And 
that does shine through in her words and her understanding. And if you've enjoyed today's show, please reach out to Aura direct through her website, which is auranadrich.com, and um, tell her that you loved hearing her on the show. I'm sure she'd appreciate that. And if you have something you'd like to share on the show, please contact me directly at uh, supernormalized at proton.me. And until next show, thank you very much for listening and bye for now.